0: Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is the Distraction Pieces Podcast, episode 271. Thank you all for tuning in, guys. I'm joined today by Nick Helm, and I was really pleased, as you'll hear, I was pleased to have this one, because me and Nick had only met briefly years ago, years ago now, but I've always been a big fan of his work, so it was good to to properly get to sit down and chat. Before we, we get into it, I'll mention two things. We've just had Poem of the Month over at patreon.com slash scroobiuspip. As Nick is a poet and musician himself and comedian and everything else, I thought I'd mention that now. It's a a, a dollar a month, or you can pay more, but it's a minimum of a a dollar a month. And you get Poem of the Month recording from me. You get Distraction Pieces Rewind. You get previews of upcoming guests. All sorts of stuff like that. Also, head to com for all your summer goods, We've got loads of good stuff there. Um, I'm going to keep this intro brief because we have a really good chat. We talked for a long time at the start about something that none of you have asked us to talk about, b- but we thoroughly enjoy it, so hope that's okay. I did similar with Ed Gamble, and it went down really well. Me and Ed, uh, w- when Ed was on, we talked about m- metal and new metal for about a half hour at the start. Um, and me and Nick do a similar thing here. Previous guests, if you're tuning in, f- in for the first time, I've had people like Ed Gamble. I've had James Acaster. Comedians, Stuart Lee, Josie Long, Catherine Ryan, Sarah Pascoe, Ashlyn B. Loads of good comedians um, over the years. So check them all out Ramesh Rangan Nathan, Jamali Maddox. Who else can I think of? There's been loads. There's been loads, I promise you. Um, Gaz Khan, everyone. Anyway, let's just get on with the podcast. I should mention that this week. Pod Bible Issue Three launched. Pod Bible is a podcast magazine that I do with Stuart Whiffin and Adam Richardson. It's really good. You, you, there, there's places that you can get a physical c- copy. They've kind of become collectors' items. But you can read the digital copies at podbiblemag.com. So, um, and follow us on all the, the socials, all under Pod Bible on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all that kind of thing. So come hang out there. But for now, this is episode 271 of the Distraction Pieces podcast with the wonderful Nick Helm. Right, I'm joined today by Nick Helm. How are you, sir? I'm all right, thank you very much. Good, good. We're in in the Hoxton Bar and Kitchen, which is a nice chilled location, right?
1: Yeah, I I think that I was around this area a few weeks ago, but I wasn't in this bar. Right. Just, that's a little (laughs) behind the magic curtain.
0: Are are we out partying in in, uh, in
1: glorious Hoxton? Um, I was, yeah I was out but it was it wasn't really partying. <laughs> I was out with a friend and it got messy and late. But we, we weren't. Into, it was I think we met like about ten and I was like, sure. And then um, I'll have a couple of drinks and then I'll be uh, you know. But I can't stay out too late. And then yeah. we were getting kicked out at four o'clock. And was like,
0: <laughs> oh right, okay. I do. I do a club night up the road and I had I was, I was on my way home from it one night and I'd left I'd left about half an hour to an hour before it closed because yeah. I had to get back to Essex and I'd been there all night so I'd, I'd put in my work and I was on my way home and a mate of mine rung me he's like fuck's sake and I was like what he's like, I've been kicked out of your club I was like why what did you do like I can ring someone maybe so I don't know they just kicked me out blah, blah, blah. and I looked at the clock I was like It's closed, Rob. (laughs) You've not been kicked out. It's just closed. He he had no idea that the music had stopped and the lights had come back on. Just like them pricks have kicked me out. I was obviously having too much fun. I was like, no, no, it's just... night's closed, Rob. That's it. It's time to go home now. Uh, We were going to record this a a week or so ago and it fell through. And I was going to dig you out about it loads on the podcast for comedy value. But I'm not. It's all good. Sure. It was just poor timing. But um, one of the things... I thought we could start with, at that point, I think it wouldn't have been a good time to talk about it because it hadn't all sunk in. But at that point, I'd just watched Endgame. Oh, right. And I saw a tweet from you, I think, the day before I went to see it, and I was like, oh, I don't want to look at that. Yeah. Are you a big film fan? I'm a big film fan. Let's talk about... films for a bit and then we'll get into the business side of things. Sure, okay.
1: Well, I've been thinking about it a lot recently. I'm a really big film fan. I'm not a really big TV, not like I'm not a big TV fan. I will watch TV but I will watch stuff like uh, Great British Menu, Mm. right? Yeah, yeah. Where you have a heat a week and it builds to a thing and then it's over. Mm -hmm. If you miss an episode it doesn't matter.
0: Yeah, you can start again on the next season. And I wasn't really,
1: I've watched the first one and a half series of game I watched it until uh, uh, my friend Gemma Whelan gets fingered on a horse right and then I, st- I was just like it's not going to get better than this <laughs> so I stopped watching and um <laughs> set by her brother and um, <laughs> so I, I watched it up until then and then uh, uh, and then that was just like right oh could I've seen Gemma and I like had a break maybe I was Writing a show or something like that. Yeah. And I just never got back to it. And then it's got to the point now where um even that was kind of like about season five was out already and I had to start it. And now it's got to a point where everyone's going on and on about game of Thrones. It's such a commitment. It's just overwhelming, isn't and it's it? Like, it's, it's, I've, it's not just about like catching up. It's like you've got to start it from scratch and have the same conversations that people have been having for the last ten years. Yeah. And it's kind of like, if you watch a film, it's two hours. And yeah. then you've seen it. And I think I like the fact that because I'm busy... And I'm not so busy, but because I'm busy, um, I can watch it, and then I, my commitment to that thing is done. Yeah. And then if I really like it, I can watch other things that that director or that actor has seen.
0: Yeah. Because cause, cause, cause the Marvel films have kind of been a TV show in film That's form. That's how I feel. In the, in, in the endgame, you can just watch it on its own, but really, you're going to. I can see. That people who haven't watched all the others are going to go. Oh, I fucking can't be bothered to start with. I've got twenty-two films to watch. I no thanks.
1: I think that's it. I think I've I've watched them all as they've come out. Same. And same. I've not really loved any of them, but I've not right. hated. I think I hated Doctor Strange. But yeah. I've not hated really any of them. Yeah. And they've got some that are less. You know, they feel like smaller films than others, like Ant Man. Yeah. You know that that feels like almost like a standalone thing. But but I don't love any of them, and I don't hate any of them. And I don't rewatch any of them. Yeah. And I, I've always like, equated it to like EastEnders, where you go, I'm, you know, I'm not going to. They just keep churning them out, and they team, and, and and there is a storyline for each film. Yeah, but the the success of that film has no bearing on whether they're going to make another one.
0: No, no, yeah, that's a great point.
1: And so they're all just trailers for the next film. And so, so I think that when I went to see Infinity War, that was the only one of them that felt like a real, and I really loved Spider-Man, but that was kind of like um, Again, half, it was half exactly. Sony. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. So, was, um, so Infinity War felt like a huge, like event film, and it's the only one that I've considered really thinking about watching it. My other one that I really liked was <laughs> Thor: The Dark World, which no one right. likes. Right. Yeah, yeah. Everyone yeah. hates that one. But I just, but I think the thing I like most about that is when he's uh, on the underground. Yes. And, you go, and maybe that's the only bit I remember from it.
0: I mean, he gets it wrong, doesn't he? I'm sure I remember him on the underground, and he says, like, it's too... St- like, there's, there was some annoying inaccuracy. There's a factual inaccuracy. inaccuracy. And I was like, man, that's, that's it's so easy to have sloppy. got that right. Just sloppy. <laughs> um,
1: so, yeah, I don't... And I like the actors as well, but, um, but with Infinity War, I thought that felt like an event film. And yeah. then uh, I missed Captain Marvel because I was working, and then uh, this new one, Endgame... Yeah, I really liked it. Yeah, it's probably my second favorite Avenger You know, out of all of the Marvel movies. Yeah, yeah. But it's those two, and then a huge gap. Yeah, and then I was really impressed that they got so much, so many cast members back together. Yeah,
0: and Um, and just the scope of I think I was almost as excited when afterwards I saw an Instagram post from Chris Pratt, and it was just he'd done a little video on set one day which he shouldn't have yeah, done right, yeah. and it really hit in how big all these are because you're watching it and because it's so fantastical you forget that r- real people were doing yeah you know what I mean you forget that that was all of these huge stars and, and for that last battle scene is the bit he's filming a bit of and it's right. all green screen or whatever but he does pan along and you've got Chris Hemsworth and Paul Rudd. I
1: just assume that they'd have all added them together in post-production. Yeah, but yeah. Do you know what I mean. It's just like when they do the uh, can we, are we doing spoilers. Well, let's. We'll, well,
0: from now we'll do spoilers. Yeah, go. All right,
1: spoilers. But when they do the funeral scene at the end, yeah. and it pans through and it's got everyone. Yeah, you could digitally comp- composite Completely. them together. Yeah, yeah. But because it's sort of like on a real location, you just take it for granted that it's they're all there. Yeah. But with the fights, you just go, None of it doesn't is real. really impress me that they got everyone together. Because you go, what a waste of time. What you might as well just film them all separately and put them together afterwards. Do you know what I mean? That was because... my reaction
0: to a few things. I watched that, um, is it Love, Sex and Robots or something? Love, oh, Deaf, Sex and Robots or something. It was a Netflix thing and it was a series of different animations all kind of put together by director F- Fincher. David Fincher? Yeah, yeah. And it, he'd put the project together, and it was all these, these shorts of these amazing animations. And there was a few of them that I was like, it's amazing, but this would have been a lot easier to just film a person do that. Yeah, like right. A few of them that just made these people and made this location. Right, it's right, like, right. that would have taken an hour if you'd just <laughs> gone there. This has probably taken a month to yeah, make right. this fictional version. It's exactly that kind of similar thing. It's like, you didn't really need to do that, did you? This, yeah, this sure. feels a bit much. Yeah, it's showing off. Yeah, it's fascinating that point on the on the Marvel things of how it is like an East Enders thing because there's no there's no genuine consequence because from a fair way in they were making the next film or the next film's already made because I've like there's a lot of them I've really enjoyed I've, I'm, I'm I'm a fan but exactly as you said there I, I, I've not really rewatched any of them a few of them I've put on to rewatch because they're on and yeah. I've not i 've not finished it yeah. so it 's been exciting for that. I need to know know what happened, but effectively, I probably could have got almost as much on some of them from just reading what happened
1: but i don 't know how much of that is now because i 'm older we 're older because mm. I remember watching like Superman Three with richard pryor like i 've seen that like twenty times yeah and I grew up on those films, and they're like favourites of mine. I've watched them over and over again. And uh, you know, uh, Tim Burton's first two Batman films. Yeah. You know, I watched them over, and-, and even something more recent like The Dark Knight. I've I've watched I've watched a few times. But with the Marvel films, it's kind of weird how, I don't know. They all feel they've all been kind of like. What I'll say in favour of the DC films, which yeah. have sort of uh, the last few haven't been very good. They've got a. Well, hang on. So, this is quite complicated because what they do is when they hired someone like Tim Burton, they had like a visionary director to take over yep. what they did. And it was. The, and the Batman films were less Batman films and more Tim Burton films. Yeah. I'd agree with that. And then when uh, Joel Schumacher came over, t- took over, he kind of made them into kind of like... They were Warner Brothers movies. He was yeah. basically trying to sell toys for them. So when Christopher Nolan took back, it became, they became Christopher Nolan movies. And then when Zack Snyder took over, they became sort of Zack Snyder movies. And then uh, and then something happened with like Suicide Squad, where Marvel were doing so well by that point, they were just like, well, let's make Suicide Squad more like a Marvel movie. And then the sort of... Um, I think it was David Ayres that did that, and he'd already done like a few sort of gritty movies. Mm. Um, and so they took it kind of like further away from like the director's control and more into like a corporate thing. Yeah. But what the difference between the Mar- what you could say in favour of the DC films is that in the past they've always had very kind of like clear visioned directors that were in charge of them, and with the Marvel films they've all got to kind of like feel like the same thing.
0: Yeah. I it- think that's that. that- that's possibly down to the fact that it seems like Marvel, as you say, seemed to have had a plan for twenty films or whatever, and it's that's been executed. Whereas DC have always seemed a bit more, "Oh, what should we do next? Okay, let's let's do this." And
1: and, and I think I think when they when they started with uh, Marvel, uh, they were kind of like a little bit. I guess they got Jon Favreau in to do Iron Man, and they yeah. were like Jon Favreau. He, w- he did Swingers. He's kind of like good at sort of like. Uh, uh, sassy smart talking guys yeah. and we've got Tony Stark and we'll put them together with Robert Downey Jr. and they'll create something really special and then when they I think the next one was Captain America we'll get Joe Johnston he did the Rocketeer yeah. uh, and he's good with special effects so he's done period action movies and he's good with special effects he did Jurassic Part 3 perfect so fit. we'll get him in He's perfect. he was a perfect fit and it felt like a Joe Johnston film and then you get uh Thor The Dark World we'll get well it's sort of Asgardian so we'll get Kenneth Branagh, you go no 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 <laughs> no no no, because uh, he's done Shakespeare and you go, Shakespeare is in the dialogue, but the it's still an action film, yeah. and Kenneth Branagh wasn't really that familiar familiar with action films, yeah, and so then it was kind of like oh hang on a minute, well maybe we'll pull back on getting these, and really what we want. If we want to get all the films to kind of like feel like they're all in the same Ryan, universe, yeah. But we'll give them slight flavours of what that director could bring. To, you know, like um, Edgar Wright got uh, taken off and yeah, 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 and replaced with someone uh, you know that's going to do sort of more like what a
0: Marvel a Marvel movie film, is. yeah, yeah. Uh,
1: but Kevin Feige is the guy, and so I think that when you get to the end, you've watched all of the Avengers movies, you've watched all twenty-two movies, and you go, I think that. When you look at them as individual parts, they can be underwhelming. But when you look at it as the work of Kevin Fe- yeah. Feige or Kevin, Feig, I, Kevin I Feige... I've never I've
0: heard Feige recently. When I assumed you, it was Feige.
1: When you look at like the complete Kev. body of all of that, <laughs> when you look at Kevin's work, right, <laughs> you go, that is actually an absolute uh, miraculous achievement a unique
0: achievement never been anything like it and
1: and you can forgive the weaker entries you know because this guy has basically orchestrated all of the like huge stars Robert Redford Michael Douglas you know Michelle Pfeiffer he got Michelle Pfeiffer basically out of retirement and you go you know, and then he's introduced uh, people to new people. He's reinvigorated Robert Downey Jr.'s career. It's like yep. he's done so much for all of these. You know, I'm not like saying he's done so much for people, like he's done, but they have done his charity work on top of that. But I'm not like saying it in terms of that. But in terms of like uh, reinvigorating a huge section of uh, the movie making industry, or specifically Hollywood, then he's done this incredible thing that's cross generational for not only the people involved, but the people that are like fans of it. I just yeah. think that that's sort of yeah, so it is an achievement, even though they're all one-watches. <laughs> it,
0: it, it also meant it had to be the biggest film of all time because people had committed to so much over the years. It's like yeah. you're not going to... If you're watching a, a TV series, it's unlikely you're going to get to the last episode and go, I don't think I'm really into this. <laughs> yeah, right. It's yeah. like, you, it had to be. Like Everyone was like, it's destroyed all box office records. It's like well yeah but how many people <laughs> it's been a 21 film marketing campaign as you said it's been 21 trailers yeah right. for this for this thing
1: but also it's just kind of like and, and they're going to keep making them yeah. but it just feels like oh it's, this is this is over for me yeah, yeah. I remember when I went to see uh, Revenge of the Sith yeah and uh, I saw it and I maybe it was, the, it was the, definitely the week it came out if not the day but um, it was a really early morning screening like a 5 o'clock 5.30 five screening yeah. And uh, I just remember coming out of *Revenge of the Sith*, and I was just like, "Oh, thank you, George. I never have to spend another penny I'm, on Star Wars ever again." I'm going to leave you, it there. You've ended it for me. <laughs> you know what I mean? And um, and with this, it's just kind of like it just feels like it's nicely kind of like landed, and I don't really need to bother with it anymore. But yeah, um,
0: I don't know if I want to start on the next j- journey because it's another ten years of of One Watchers. this is
1: the because sh- <laughs> this is like the biggest. Box office, uh, it's it's two billion already, and it's been out for like like, what a fortnight. Yeah, and so there must be people that are watching it that haven't seen any of the others that have been dragged along. But then, what do you think about this film in comparison to the last one? Because Age, not Age of Ultron, the Infinity War.
0: Yeah, I I mean, I really, I think exactly right that both of them felt like huge events. They felt like there was so, so much in every scene that. It hid the running time. The fact that they're like both three-hour-long films. I didn't think it felt <laughs> yeah. like that at all. I thought yeah. every scene they just packed it all in so well. And I, I think I enjoyed Endgame more because of that feeling of, of completion. Yeah. I think the drama at the end of Inf- Infinity Wars would have been great if I didn't exist in the real world. Because in the real world, I was aware that Black Panther has just had a huge He's film. And there's going to the be film. a series. No, Guardians at that point were signed for a third one and all this. It's like, everyone that died, it was like, right, well, they're definitely not... Do you know what I mean? So yeah, 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 If I didn't live in the real world and have stupid real world influences on there, that would have been, oh my God, this is amazing. But there was a, oh my God, I wonder how they're going to solve that.
1: <laughs> That's quite interesting, isn't it? Because in actual fact, everyone that died in the snap at the end of the last yeah. one, uh, they came back. And then uh, the people that survived, which was... You know, Iron Man and... Yep. Um,
0: uh, Cap. Um, Black Widow. Yep, Scarlet.
1: Scarlet, Scarlet Johansson. Scarlet Widow.
0: And... Um,
1: because it's Scarlet Witch
0: as well, isn't it? Yep.
1: Witch is played by someone else. Yes. But Scarlet Johansson you know, yes. plays Black Widow. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, there was only really like five people that could die.
0: Yeah.
1: I, I did find... I, I thought they handled Captain America... Like, Captain America is quite a boring character, mm-hmm. and I thought it's, it was a real achievement that he was basically the best character in this film. 100%. So there's like 70 and, main characters. And the
0: simple him addressing of his boringness, cunning, love like when he fights himself, he's like, yeah, right. I, I could do this for hours. He's like, I know. Like <laughs> the, the kind of acknowledgement of God, yeah. if, if you're not me, I must be really annoying. <laughs> yeah, right,
1: yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah, I thought they did, did great with that, and I thought, I think the, I mean, the, this isn't a Marvel podcast and we, we will move on after this um <laughs> two, people this two people that aren't that fussed about marvel movies <laughs> They're both going, yeah, it's all right." but I, I love the way they've reinvigorated thor because i do yeah. think i was a I, I really enjoyed the first two th- 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 thor films but partly because as a comic book fan i felt they were the most impossible to make good yeah because right. it's so silly yeah it's so it's gods it's 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 all this and i thought they'd did it great, but then as soon as Ragnarok happened and they kind of reinvented him as this w- w- wise-cracking yeah, sure. comedy character, it, yeah, I loved it. And I he think... was the other one in this that I was like, yeah, he's he's, he's gold. I think Chris Hemsworth's great, yeah.
1: And, yeah. and Chris Evans. And Chris Pratt. Yeah, all the Chrises. All the Chrises. Yeah. It was,
0: they got all the Chrises and none of the Ryans. Right. So they didn't get a Gosling, a Reynolds... There's another one. There's another good Ryan, sexy Ryan. I can't think, but, but but basically it's Ryan's and Chris's. It depends who you go for, the Ryan's right, or the yeah. Chris's. And they went for all the Chris's.
1: And that's and they, and they and
0: did well. They did. well. And, did and right out of Chris. the
1: three, Chris Evans as well. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, so, yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> <laughs> the collection of Chris Evans's. Um, Should we talk? We talk about something other than than, than, than Marvel films. Sure. Sure. Um, we as as far as I remember. A, a, we first met at The Fringe. Yes. And it's the one year I did The Fringe. Which was, was 2013? Yeah, I'd say 12 or 13. Yeah. yeah. Oh, maybe, um, I think it
1: was 12, because I didn't have any merchandise back then.
0: Yes. And that was it. I, I was a, f- a, a fan of you already. And I was always excited at The Fringe Anytime time... It's going to sound stupid, but any time comedians came along or, or were there for my show, because I'm doing spoken word and stuff, and I've written some comedy into it, but... I'm a huge comedy fan, so it right, was exciting right. any time I'd see like, <gasps> a comedian's actually come to mind. And you came up to me at the merch booth and, and asked me about merch because it was a weird thing. I've come from years of touring uh, with music, and we do merch constantly. Yeah. But in comedy, particularly at the Fringe, it's, n- it's not that common a thing. It's not, and also,
1: hmm, I think that it can feel a little bit grubby.
0: Yeah. do you know yeah.
1: what I mean just like thanks for coming to see my show now I think it's you're the face of it you've got nowhere to hide behind you're yeah. literally saying yeah. this is how much it is yeah. and you're going to pay me that Yeah. and then they give you your money and there's a bit of you in the back of your head that's going oh, I wish I'll give it you for half price yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know yeah. what yeah. I mean yeah. well, I like you're forgot. sort of like ashamed of kind of like yeah. having to ask, you know charging the, not having to ask but you're ashamed of charging the money but then at the end of the day you go that's what it's worth
0: yeah yeah I think it's interesting because I think merch became such a lifeblood in music more so than in comedy because you previously make money in music from selling music and then digital just killed that. So you'd have live Mm. and you'd have merch to try and make that work. So whereas comedy, you do your live and then you hopefully make off of that and then hopefully make off of a show, a tour, a TV thing. So I think it was a weird one because I spoke to a few comedians that year who had a, a similar thing because you said ex- exactly that you're like how do you make this work is it comfortable does it not feel weird yeah. to be stood d- here after you've done your thing going all right can, yeah, yeah. can I have some money for this <laughs> you know but again it was it's it's the mindset I guess it's getting comfortable with the fact it's like no the merch is stuff I've worked hard on as well and it's got it's got its own, own value and I'm proud of so yeah, yeah. I, well I I, I...
1: So I've got two albums. I'm, I'm working on a third album, and um, uh, and you spend hours and hours into that, and it costs money to make music as well. Completely. And so you, you do all that, and then at the end of it, you know, you do a tour. But then the tour is also a really great way of like connecting with your fans and meeting your fans, and you know, uh, and a lot of the time they just want to meet you or sign yeah. stuff. And so I always say, you know, you don't have to buy anything. I'll sign a flyer. I'll sign Completely. a ticket. I'll do anything. And then you stand there and you just meet so many people and that, I think Stuart, I heard this from Stuart Lee when he was talking about merchandise, but basically a lot of the time they just want something to take away. Yeah. And um, and then you meet them, you sign it, they take it away and then they've got that and it's like a memory of that night and um, I think it sort of like solidifies that event for them. Yeah,
0: um, I'm the same. I, I remember from going to gigs myself and being blown away that the artist was doing the merch and buying albums I've already got because I want a signed one it it means something, it's a a memory of that night I remember because all through my music career I'd run my own merch booth and we'd we'd be doing like Coco to to 2,000 people and I'd be crammed in this merch booth at the end and one person outside I once was saying to Dan Lassac, oh it's just money grabbing isn't it, you know that or Pip knows if he's doing the merch booth you're going to sell more merch, it's like these things don't have to be mutually exclusive. I do know that, but also I know that it means a lot to people yeah. to, to to come and say hello and have a photo, particularly photos now for Instagram or whatever else. Absolutely. Have a photo, have something signed. It's like, it can be both. It does mean we're going to sell more, but, but also it means everyone who comes to the booth is going to have a better memory of the night, a bigger moment and a, and a shared you give, thing.
1: And you give everyone uh, a, bit of, a bit of your time. Do you yeah, know what I mean? Yeah, you kind yeah. of like, it's... Uh, um uh, yeah, I think that when I, in 2012, when I met you... Yeah. Uh, that was, I wasn't, I came up because I was interested in sort of making some albums and doing some stuff, but I didn't really know how to go about it, and the one thing, I'm quite shy, uh, and I'm very kind of like introverted uh, a lot of the time, and uh, I... I Honestly, couldn't imagine anything worse. And also, I've got, like, nightmare memories of my parents taking me to car boot sales where people were, like, clawing through the boot before yeah. you got out of the car. And, it, and you know, it was just kind of, <laughs> I just couldn't imagine, like, anything really worse in terms of that. And then the moment I did it, I, yeah, I always remember that bit in Spinal Tap when they're in the record store and nobody's turned up and... Uh, Derek Smares is blowing his nose and it's like really bleak. Yeah. And I was just thinking, well, that'll be me. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And then um, and then the moment I started doing it, uh, I did it, uh, I think my my first album came out in 2013, so I was doing Edinburgh and I just set up a, like, a trestle table at the end
0: of the gig. Yeah.
1: And people started queuing around the block and it was just like, oh, this is great. And then you meet them all. Why wasn't I doing this? Why haven't I been doing this for longer? And so yeah. here, you meet them all and it's kind of... Um,
0: yeah, I love it. And it's funny, because I'm, I'm I'm similar in that way, in that, like, at The Fringe, for example, I was, I was one of the few people I know up there was a Brett Goldstein, and he was like, I was like, I'm not really going to be partying much, I've got some writing I need to do, and he was like, s- as soon as you're up there, that will change. But I'm just not a, s- a social person. Right. I had, like, two or three nights out the, the whole time I was up there. So the merch booth is also a nice bit of post-show socialising, as, as weird as it heart. sounds yeah, because yeah, yeah, yeah. i'm not naturally that person it's really nice to have all these people and again it's a it's a skewed so- socialising you know you're going to meet generally meet people who think that you're great <laughs> which is a lovely way to skew your socialising but it's a, it was it, i found it a really cathartic a, a way to end each show to have a bit of interaction and then go back and be a weirdo in my in my apartment or or whatever or it is dungeon. in the flat. Yeah. Or dungeon. But yeah, but
1: I think um, I think th- that's another thing as well, isn't it? It's like uh, so much of the feedback that we get now is uh, online. Yeah. And it's it's anonymous and it's faceless. And in actual fact, it's nice to actually see. And there's a lot of horrible things that, that get said about people. And I think it's nice to actually go out. And some of it's ego fanning, surely. But I think... I think it's nice to actually go out and get a a response from people and to be able to um, I did a show uh, two years ago that was about um, about depression and suicide Um, and it was a comedy show and I think that at the end I was able to sort of like talk to you know some people came up to me and said well you know what, what do you mean like making fun of stuff like this and making and I said well I don't think I I made I wrote jokes about my experiences within that mm-hmm. but I don't think I was making fun about that stuff and then you get to talk to people and kind of like sort of uh, discuss what you've done and it's sort of like it's made me very much more aware of how some of the stuff that I say can be taken out of context and can be kind of like misunderstood Yeah, it's made me a bit more not more careful because I think that that show I stand by that show I think it's a really um, it was a really personal show, and I think that um, if I felt it and I've experienced it, then it's fair game and I can write about it. I
0: couldn't agree more. A weirdly, literally on the same night I spoke to you at the Fringe, it's weird, it's a memorable night, because I said I, I, I knew of your stuff, so it was good to, ch- to chat briefly, but I had a girl come up who was r- really angry angry with part of my set, and it was awkward because, again, there is a queue of people there, and she, and she was like, I don't think you should have been talking about... I think it was suicide in that way because I do a piece about suicide and then I make a, a joke about it afterwards and the point of everything in that show was to have jokes and then hit hard with the seriousness so kind of a spoonful of sh- sugar but also kind of really heighten the impact of the of the serious stuff and and she, and, and she wasn't like uh, uh, happy with it and I I didn't know w- w- what else to say I was like alright I'm sorry and we had a quick chat and I was like well exactly as you said there the stuff I've talked about there is stuff that I went through and I experienced so I feel I have a right to talk about it in however I see appropriate that's how I'm dealing with it and she was like well no that's wrong you shouldn't and I was like I don't know what to do now particularly Mm. again as weird as it sounds the strange pressure of a queue full of smiling people and an angry person now I was like I mean, we can talk more afterwards. I don't know if we're going to have much more to say because you don't agree and I do. Yeah. And it was exactly that. It was like, but again, it's good to have those things to, in a way, to to test your resolve on these things. So you can go, oh, am I right, or am I playing? Yeah, to clarify
1: your uh, approach to stuff.
0: Yeah. You know, because even if you're stubborn in the moment to to defend it, you're going to go home and think about it and go. Was I defending it because I'm stubborn or was I defending it because I believe that?
1: But I think if you're working on new stuff, it's very, uh, you know, it's it's difficult to know. Uh, You might, like, the landing might not stick. Do you know what I mean? You might might have approached the subject matter maybe the wrong way. Maybe you're a bit heavy-handed. But once you've sort of, like, worked on it and thought about it and you've really kind of, like, developed it, by the time it's the final thing, you know why it's there. Yeah. You know why you put it in there and you know uh what purpose it has as part of that show. I think a lot of people with comedy is slightly different, but like I think well it's not I think people go for a night out. Yeah. And I don't think it's uh I don't think it's your responsibility to ruin that person's night out. Yep. But I also think that I have, because of the subject matter that I deal with and I've always dealt with depression in, in terms of what I say on stage, and it started off, I've just been thinking about it because I'm writing my new show, and in the early days it was kind of like, I just want to get a laugh. So you'd write a one-liner about your depression. Yeah. I used to say something about, um, you know, I've always suffered depression. It's not the big things like war and famine and disease that gets me down. It's the little things like when you get home and you realise you've got to change your own duvet case by yourself. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it's and that's true, but it was a one-liner. Yeah. I didn't scratch beneath the surface of depression any more than I've got a joke. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I see. And now I've got to a point where I'm standing on stage and the discussion comes first and then if I can make that humorous then that's a bonus. Mm. And I think that it's my I mean I'm just starting a sh- I've just started writing this show. And um I think a lot of my uh, fans and a lot of people that return to come and see me do also suffer from those things. And it's not... I think it's cathartic. It's cathartic for me, and it's cathartic for them uh, to hear somebody talking about those feelings. Yeah. And it's also uh, important to remind people that no matter how bad you, you, you're feeling, um, you're not alone. Yeah, and to have somebody come up on stage and talk about their own experience with it yeah, is good. It's good for people, and I think that sometimes it might not be someone else's idea of a good night out.
0: Yeah, but it doesn't make it any less valid. Completely understand. Yeah, yeah, and and again, it doesn't mean if if you removed everything that might make someone feel uncomfortable or not see as a good night out, then so much stuff would be would be buried. It's it, it, it's important to have challenging and topics and subjects in, in those places.
1: And I also don't think talking about depression has to be morbid. No. I don't think talking about death has to be morbid. I don't Couldn't think talking you know, more.
0: I think that... i uh, made a career of talking about death, and only when I started to get coverage did I realise that people saw it as morbid. I Generally, it just hadn't occurred to me. It's just something that... My family's always been very open about death and stuff mm. like that, so it would come into a lot of my songs and stuff, and then people would be, oh, it's all quite dark and morbid. I'd be like, what? Is it? I thought we were just having a conversation i didn't and again i completely agree these things the more they're discussed the more because death 100 percent, and the stats on mental health depression a fair decent percent we're all going to experience it Mm -hmm. it's literally we're all going to experience death and a lot of us are going to have some kind of mental health struggles so it's bizarre to see that as things that we can't talk about or shouldn't talk about or feel uncomfortable talking about because it's the one it's the things that link all of us
1: yeah and I, yeah, absolutely, I think that um, I think that there's uh, a lot. Th- when you look at like mainstream comedy, a lot of that is sort of like aspirational, and it's mm-hmm. kind of like um, nice shiny suit, big stage, yeah. telling jokes, and um, and uh, I think that that's that's great. That's that's definitely a way. <laughs> it's definitely a way to approach it. Uh, but then I also think that when you take that veneer off, and you sort of like just starting to relate as a human being. Then, then you're being more honest. I, th- I, th- I also think there's a difference between getting any uh, – what your target is. What is your target? If you're punching down, th- th- then I, 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 that turns me off. I'm, yeah. not, I'm not interested. But if you're yeah. kind of like building bridges and you're trying to sort of like um, uh, relate to other people, then that's kind of what I'm interested in. Yeah. Um, but, but when you do talk about depression and when you do talk about suicide and when you do talk about um, you know, issues that have affected people in a really painful way and you surround that with laughs and jokes, I think that you can hear a word. It's a trigger word, isn't it? And you hear the word and you, you don't, regardless of the context, you think, right, well, they're making fun of this subject. Yeah, yeah. And in actual fact... Um, you know, when I went on tour, I've only been on one national tour, uh, which was 2017. And when I did that, I met so many people. And uh, there was like two or three people that came up and they they wanted to talk to me afterwards about it seriously. And their opinions are valid, but it gives you the opportunity to sort of like correct that and to discuss that with them and learn from them, but also get your point across. And then, and then you meet, you know, hundreds of other people that kind of like... Um, it hasn't affected or and then you meet a whole proportion of your audience that it has directly affected and they're kind of like they needed to hear something said out loud by someone
0: completely and 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 the amount of people that that can reach in a Truly personal way is—it's fantastic. Even though you're only talking about your, your, your experiences, it can really I th- make I, I, such a connection and make such a.
1: Yeah, I've always thought that about comedy. I always think yeah. that the moment I've tried to write for the, an audience, I've—it's uh, I've, it's never been as satisfying. Yeah, I think um, I haven't done Edinburgh like a full run at Edinburgh uh, since 2013. So yeah. for six years, and my last show was kind of like. You know, I was going to give up. and I was going to stop doing Edinburgh. I'd done my first Edinburgh was a school play in '97. Wow! And then uh, I started writing shows in in 2001, and I've pretty much done every year since 2001. Wow! And I got to 2010, so I did nine years of writing Edinburgh shows. No one was coming to see me. Yeah. And then I got to 2010. I was going right. This is going to be my last year. And then that was the year that you know. Daniel Kitson came to me, Jimmy Carr came to me, they started tweeting about me, and then all of a sudden I went on Russell Hell's Good News, and then all of a sudden I had, like, this career. Yeah. And then I, I did 2011, 2012, 2013, and those were, like, those three shows were back-to-back, but they were less, they became less and less personal and more about, I've got to do Edinburgh again.
0: Yeah. And, um... I've got a profile and a demand now rather yeah, than I've got a show.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, and, I, and, and those shows were good shows, yeah. you know, but they, there was less and less of me in them, and I found it harder and harder to write about, about right. it. Because I, I was a persona. I was kind of like um, like a
0: single, lonely, I've just been dumped. Oh, this is one of the things I wanted to kind of discuss with you, because, I mean, it's interesting that you were talking about the nerves of meeting people on the merch booth, mm. and, and, uh, uh, initial nerves, because it's an interesting one, because the times I'd seen you live... It, it's a character on stage but more so it's it's confrontational comedy in a way or putting people on edge a little in a similar way if people haven't seen if if people only know Johnny Vegas from TV right, then yeah. his live shows and Doug Stanhope is another one i'd say that at points you're feeling like it's is something bad going to happen? Yeah, and and uh, but it, it, it it's a way of extracting a different kind of reaction, a different kind yeah. of laughter, a different kind of relief, and it's amazing. Um, who was the old American comedian who was a master of it? Sam uh, Sam Kinison yeah, right. was another one. That's really it's such an onslaught that you're not sitting again. It's not passive. It's, the punchline's about to come, and there it is! Ha ha! It's so it's such yeah. an onslaught that it's like it gets such an exciting. A reaction, and that's some of my favourite comedy to see. But I can imagine to go from that to being on a merch roof going, "All right, yeah, yeah, it must be such a strange transition mentally and yeah, just comfort wise."
1: Yeah, but yes, yeah, I suppose it is. I, but I've always just thought that um, yeah, there's a lot of comedians that want <laughs> that want you to think that this looks easy. Yeah, and I make it look hard <laughs> and um and you know I sweat on stage and I shout for an hour I mean these are the old days but yeah. uh, you know it's kind of like an exaggerated uh, persona rather than a direct character but yeah. it's um yeah. And then you switch that and people just come up and they're just, like, and they're like, all oh, right, Nick, how you doing? Oh, that, you know, and you're sweating and they go, Oh, you're all sweaty. And you go, yeah, you just saw me on set and they're just like, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. And I, th- I, I think that it's good because it, because I'm not trying to convince people that I am that person.
0: Yeah.
1: I'm trying to make them laugh for an hour. Yeah. And, um, and at the end they meet you afterwards and they're just like, and they know it's an act. Do you know yeah. what I mean? And I think it's very, very much they know that you're a real person that's doing that i think that that's that's a good thing to remind people i also i stand up is one of the things that anyone can do it you know right yeah, yeah. What, what i was going to say originally about that was that um, rather than just going for a laugh i wanted to make people feel like they'd come off like a roller coaster yeah like and they feel like uh, ad- they've got adrenaline in them and energized so yeah. definitely in 2011 that show, when people were coming out, they, a group of, you know, I used to give out ponchos, because I sweated so much, <laughs> and it would say, I, I survived, I, I dared to dream with Nick Helm, and, uh, like, you'd get when you came off, like, a, a water ride, and, um, so that was, like, a definite, let's make them feel something other than laughing. I don't yeah. know why you, it's just laughter that you want to get out of a show, you, you can feel lots of things in a show, and that'd be valid.
0: I mean, that's an amazing outlook and approach in general cuz i think that's a key part to understanding the ups and downs of mental health as well is is i think one of the the most damaging things in modern society is that we've built a society where we've painted the picture that the goal the the sole goal is happiness yeah and happiness is great i'm not sh- shitting on happiness here but there's a spectrum of emotions that are really important and can be really positive to live through and to learn but we've built it so that often people think if i'm not in the happiness place, I'm failing. Yeah. Something's gone wrong. I'm doing something wrong. It's like, well, no, you're a human. You're going to have loads of different parts. Some parts are going to be happiness, but there's going to be loads of different bits. They're not a failure. They're not a mistake. And I think that's that's great to kind of put that thought to comedy. It's like, right, well, we can get laughter, but there's tons of emotions, and we're having... Like, we've got this hour together. This yeah. is all we've got. We've yeah. got this hour together. Let's Let's try and find more than just laughter. Let's have... Ups and downs all over the place. I mean,
1: to be fair, if you didn't make them laugh, you wouldn't be doing your job. The laughter's so. a key one. The
0: same <laughs> happiness is a key one in some way, but yeah. But I think like, that's where I failed at the fringe. When we look at. Um, I just focused on depressing them. When you
1: look at. Um, but then I just think that that is also. I, I, rather than dark comedy, I always yeah. think of myself as light like tragedy. Yeah. You know, yeah. Where you go, it's like the opposite. But also when you look at Edinburgh as a microcosm, you're there for a month yeah. and you bump into comedians up there or you bump into performers up there and you go, how are you feeling? And they're like, oh, I'm feeling terrible. Oh, my fringe is going really badly. You know, you know. um, and then you see them another day and they're like feeling like, oh, it's great, I had a brilliant show and all yeah, that. Yeah. But like, you know, when you see people on a bad day, it's important to remember that you're there for a month, you know. And if you had a month in anywhere other than Edinburgh, it would be impossible to believe that you would spend 30 days consistently being happy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have ups and downs every single day. Uh, every single hour of every day has like complications within it. And when you're up in Edinburgh and you're tired and you're doing a show every day, you've, you you kind of feel like you know, maybe it's like you're in a privileged position, or maybe it's like you see it as like a holiday, or maybe you see it as whatever. But you know, it's kind of like you're there for a month, and so you've got to accept the fact that you're not going to be happy. The time there are going to be kind of like um dips there and uh and you, for, l- l- you do l- forget like that. any month
0: right you like, forget it's, that it's a regular it's, month it's, it's like it's <laughs> exactly
1: because there's so much that you put so much effort that you put into it and so and much pressure that's and, put onto it and it's like a microcosm where you literally go this month is is like an example of what a year is like or what yeah. a lifetime yeah, is yeah, like yeah, yeah, So yeah. like you're gonna have good bits and bad bits and 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 you think because you're up here and you're making the effort that you should be happy but It's pockets, you you know, and it's, and it's good to focus on that. The other thing about stand up is that that I think, and performance, is that, um, anyone can do it. And I think it's good for people to see that, I don't know how other people present themselves, but it's good for people to see that I'm just normal. I'm just Mm. me. I'm all, I'm, I'm, I'm in the, I'm in the bar after the gig, you know, I'm getting my coat on, I'm there. You know, it's not like there's no, I'm at that level where, um, I'm not playing big enough venues where I'm protected from, an audience. Yeah. So I'm sort of like right in there with people. And I think it's good for people to realise that, you know, if they don't like you, that's fine. You can do it yourself. Why yeah. don't you go and do it? You know, and if they do like you, that's great. Take, you know, I find it, I found, before I made a living out of it, I found getting out of the house every day and doing stand up just, you know, cathartic. And... Yeah.
0: You've now had one of the greatest arguments on any criticism. days there and i've used it tons with the podcast i'll have someone say you talk like the two things i have the most is they love the podcast because i i let the guests speak and it's a conversation rather than an interview and the other thing is that i never let anyone speak and i talk over everyone and interrupt them so it's the two conflicting things but exactly that i'm always like start a podcast man like, and I don't mean it in a snarky. Or if you like think you, don't, you can do better, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. like, oh, dude. Like l- literally, genuinely, start a podcast. If you don't, if you're not enjoying the way I do this, start one. There's yeah, so many ways is what to do I'd it. I've cobbled together. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I'd, I'd love to hear if you, you know, yeah, just make it. And that's that's great. On the comedy thing, it's like if you didn't like it, cool, go, go on, yeah. <laughs> go and do it the way that you think it should be because, done.
1: But that's exactly it. And it's like And and it's not. It's it's exactly what you say. It's not about like well, you, you
0: you you think you, you, think you could think do it.
1: It's literally um I was I was like I was like you once you know i I thought comedy was something that someone else did, yeah, and you watch it, yeah, and you have to sit and watch other people, and you go, well, it's not for me and whatever if you you know it's a thing that is free to do, yeah. you know it's free to write, it's free to experience things and find yeah, things funny and write write your ideas down. And uh, a lot, of the, most of the time, it's free to sort of like get up on stage and perform it, yeah. And to work out whether you want to do it, and if it's not that, what if it's something else? You know, you know. I think you get it's a greater appreciation of
0: anything as well from 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 getting to know the inner workings of it a, a little bit. I find with most things that if I've tried something, I can then get more out of it. If you know what I mean, as a as a as a, sure. as a viewer, as a as as a watcher, if I've been up on stage or even going on smaller things of. Are from touring, at some point, I've tour managed. I've been the driver. I've done every element of that, so I can appreciate a good driver, a good charm sh- 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 I and all these other things, mm-hmm. and get and get more out of that. And I think that's a similar thing. If you can, the more you get and understand the things, the more you you get out of them as a as a viewer as well, no, as an audience member. Yeah. Are you familiar with the film Old Boy? Yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. Going the original. With this. Yeah, yeah. The original. There's. I haven't seen Spike Lee's one. I didn't think it was bad as everyone said. I quite enjoyed it, but yeah, it wasn't as good as. I thought it was so it weird originally. that they did it anyway. Really odd to do. Um, but the big, the thing I love about that, and again, s- spoiler, um, spoiler alert: the, gr- the masterpiece line in that is, "You've spent the whole time wondering why we, l- we locked you away, and you've not asked why we let you out." And that's the big kind of twist. It's why he's been l- l- let out at this point. So. Rather than why haven't you been to the Fringe for the last six years, why are you returning? Why are you going back with your new uh, Phoenix uh, from the Plains show? The
1: um, is
0: there a reason? Is there a big burning desire? I don't think
1: there is a huge reason. I think
0: that... Um, I framed it as a good question, though, right? I made it all did. sound all clever and...
1: But I would say... <laughs> I, do you know what? The why haven't I been is the more interesting one. Because it is an of,
0: interesting tra- trajectory of 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 of... of slugging away at it for years and then you got that exposure and it seemed to click and then you did a few more years and then then stopped.
1: Yeah. I think that I stopped initially because I got busy. Yeah. Uh, One year I couldn't... But the thing is, I'm one of the few comedians that actually really loves Edinburgh. I started before I was a comedian. Um, I started before it was very competitive. Like in 2001... I mean, I I saw Al Murray when he was a new act in 1997. Wow. I think he was doing his second Edinburgh. He got me up on stage. I was just like, bloody hell. I like being up on stage. Um, And then, you know, it's no, I don't think it's a coincidence. It's not a deliberate thing, but I don't think it's a coincidence that like 10 years after that or 12 years after that, I was getting people up on stage and doing, like I even got to do uh, the same venue, uh, the Cabaret Bar in the Pleasances that Al Murray got me up on stage on. Um, so I've always, I've always, always loved Edinburgh, and and, I, and then I, just, I got busy. And when I was doing, uh, I did the third series of Uncle. We filmed over August, and I got bored yeah. at the weekends. And so I phoned up Ryan, and I flew up on a Friday, and I did work in progress over the weekend. I came back and filmed again on right. Monday. So it's so like it's always been there. I didn't come up at all last year, and then. I guess I've missed doing a proper show. I did my tour. I did, I, I did two weeks' work in progress in 2017, and it was a really stripped-down show so that I could tour it, that I could, you know, it was me with a microphone and my mate and a guitar, David Trent, uh, my best mate. And um, uh, so it was a really stripped-down show. There was like, I, I normally do, like, big, kind of, like, glitzy bells and whistles, I made this in my garden-type shows. Yeah, And this was really kind of, like, really kind of stripped down and I toured it but it was my first tour and I realised what I'd done is I hadn't toured the sort of show that I would do Right I think what I did um, I can't remember what year it was 2015 maybe I did a show called Two Nights Stand at the Grand where I came up I was editing my show Heavy Entertainment for BBC and I had a weekend off and I went up and I did Two Nights at the at the Pleasant's Grand and it was like there were two hour like, music gigs, basically. Yeah. I did, like, all of my shows and sort of, like, bits and pieces from greatest hits. And, uh, yeah, and it was – and I got, standing ovations at the end of each night. I was just like, I don't think I've ever worked this hard. At the end of the night, my, I, I couldn't stand up straight because of wow. the adrenaline and my diaphragm. And I'd been singing, like, for two hours. And, you yeah, know, and I got these two standing ovations. And then on my way back uh, – <laughs> Uh, me and my girlfriend were driving back to uh, London but we were driving back through Scotland I think just as we got to the Scottish border I got sent uh, I got a three star review in the Times and I was just like that is literally you can't do anything more than that and I got a three star review in the Times and they said yeah it was alright but it's just what he does and you go what and I was like well fuck you then I'm not going to come back and, uh, so when I did my tour I did, I did this stripped down show uh, and everyone was like, oh, yeah, that's really good. And people were like, going, oh, it's so good to see you do a different thing. And it was kind of like, yeah, but it's just stand-up, isn't it? And it felt like every, everyone, you know, any, any comedian can do what I did on, yeah. on this, and that's great. And there are comedians that are better at straight stand-up than I am. And um, I think that what it was, was I was getting kind of like um, commended for like conforming. Mm. It was like... I do all this stuff with costume changes and songs and poems and like audience participation and all this stuff. And I took most of that out of the show. And I was—they were like going, "Oh, this is great! It's so interesting to see him do a new direction." It's just like my new direction is the same as everyone else's direction. Yeah. yeah. And then I just felt like I, what I really miss is like doing a show with like a big glitzy number at the top and a finale and a you know a character arc and you know one line i didn't do any one-liners in the last show and it's just like and one line i feel like i wanted to reclaim what it was that made me um me
0: i love that because it feels key to have gone and done that show that didn't feel like you to know that you're doing the glitzy stuff because that's you not as a kind of oh i need this destruction or this or that because a lot of things again in performance, I think you have to figure out what you're doing because that—that—that that, that is you, and what you're doing is a comfort, a blanket. Here's yeah. the bits that make me feel comfortable. It's all right. I've got this. I'm doing this character. I'm doing this or that. So that sounds perfect to have gone sp- drip down, get praised for it, and then go. I don't want to do that. <laughs> that's not me. I've done the most bare version and it turns out none of that was a hide, was hiding or covering myself. It was showing myself. That was yeah, yeah, yeah. putting it all out there and going, no, look, here's all the costume changes, all the, I, the glitz I, I, and, glamour. and I also
1: really enjoyed the, um, really the Strip Down show and, yeah. um, and I think I became a better comedian for it. And I think this show, I've just started previewing it and I preview without any songs, without any poems. I, d- I do like, a preview, an hour of stand-up. I write the songs separately uh, and then I slot it all together like Lego bricks. And yeah. um, and I've got like an hour of stand-up at the moment, which I'm working on, which I'm really happy with. And you go, with, with every song I put in, it's another five minutes of material I've got to take out. Yeah. And so... Right, yeah, that's fascinating. So I'm kind of like... Um, so I don't really know how this show's going to turn out, but I do know that the intention is to get back to kind of like and I think it would be a mix. It will be a mix from what I've learned over the last few years. Also, the other reason why I'm doing it is I've just spent four years trying to get a TV series made, and you just constantly
0: having to uh, jump through other people's hoops. It's fucking heartbreaking, right? To, to that, I've 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 had a couple of things in development, and being ignorant to it all, the the, the, the buzz and excitement. Every time it looks like it's going in an exciting direction, and yeah. then they'd fucking have that and ripped away to, from you constantly. Just
1: having to protect yourself by like not getting enthusiastic about anything. Yeah, yeah, you know, I'm completely. I'm, I'm writing treatments <laughs> at the moment. I'm writing treatments at the moment. I'm just thinking, what's the
0: point? This will never get made. You know, um, it's, it's so weird. I've I've had to explain this to, uh, to my girlfriend because I'll get. Um, I've 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 been acting for for, for just over th- three years now. And I'm getting some amazing auditions. It's mind-blowing the opportunities I'm getting. But I won't get excited about any of them because, again, it's exactly that. I, know, I now know the industry well enough, so it's not going to happen. You have to think like that, otherwise it will crush you because you'll be thinking every day, I've not heard back. I've not heard back on this or is this happening?
1: Yeah, or, it, or maybe it's more like uh, you, do the, you do the audition or you hand in the treatment and then you move on. And completely that. Yeah. And uh, it's like handing in an exam, and you go, Well, I can't change what I've written now. So that's it. Yeah. And, you, and if you hear anything back, then that's a bonus. That's but a if bonus. you don't. Yeah. I, but that's also the same with, you know, going for a job interview or anything like that. It's kind of like, I think what I tend to do is I allow myself an afternoon of uh, of the
0: fantasy of yeah. going, Well, what if I did get the job and I go, and then you just. Yeah. You see, I, I've, I find, again, it's because I'm new to it all. I get my moments of enjoyment from learning the scene. Because I didn't go to any kind of drama school or anything like this. It's fucking awesome to do these workshops and stuff like that. So I have all the excitement leading up to the audition. I, I do it. And that's been my... Oh, how lucky am I to get to to fuck about yeah, and play yeah, with right. that. And there's like there's been a few Marvel auditions in there and stuff like that. It's like, oh, it was cool. I was, for that moment... I was in a Marvel film. <laughs> yeah, you know right. what I mean. And now I walk away f- from it and forget it and and see what comes. But yeah. yeah. Oh, but yeah. with that, it must be nice to have something that's in your control. Then to go right. I'm making a show, you, and I'm going to make this show. You
1: do. Yeah. I mean, you do stand mm-hmm. up, and it, and you're directing it. You're writing it. You're in it. You know. You're you're performing it, and you can uh, you can tweak it. You know, on stage, every single you know this. Like you've got the same material every night, but. The audience steer it in a different way, and you maybe need to sort of like hammer some things home a bit more than others. And and it's the same material, but it's a different show every night. Yeah, and it's it's immediate and it's exciting, and it's not sitting in an office begging someone to let you perform, let you write. Do you know what I mean? It's kind of like
0: let me do this. You're
1: not even you know you spend most of the time. You're not even writing scripts. You're writing. Uh, a treatment which is basically just saying someone well this is what i would write if you will let me yeah and i find it really frustrating and i don't want to be bitter (laughs) so i'm choosing to just be productive yeah just get out there and do and do something that you know it's been uh, I, i didn't gig for like a year and a half um i'm just getting back into it i've really missed it it's good to be doing it again and also it's just good to be kind of like in control of my own destiny for a bit. Yeah.
0: From, from I found great motivation in sc- script writing from when I had Craig S. Zala on the podcast who did um, Bone Tomahawk and... Dragged yeah. um, over concrete... Dragged tra- tra- over concrete brawling cell, brawling cell block. Brawling cell block, no, yeah. No, yeah. Um, and it was f- fascinating to hear from him that he had like four or five huge scripts that had DiCaprio attached, had Brad Pitt attached, all these things, and they all fell through. But all of those are what gave him a good enough reputation that when he's making Bone Tomahawk, Tomahawk his first film that he's written and directed, he can get all that freedom and control and have these huge names in. And that was a, a, a really motivational thing, to think that these projects that fail have not... F- Failed. They have not gone to where you thought they would go, but they may have opened enough minds or impressed enough people to know that when that final one comes along, they go, "No, we know this dude yeah. can write," and we. I mean, there's that faith there, and it's it's all building it. And that was that was huge for me because again, I was in that ex, that exact point of the first thing I'd written. It got snapped up up by Walt. Right? Like they replied a day after I sent it to him, and I was like, "This is amazing. It's going to be." filming in a week and then it hit the usual the, nice. ch- the, the channels aren't biting it's not right for now it's yeah not, yeah yeah we've already got 10pm shows it's like, what the fuck is a 10pm show no yeah. one watches anything at times now it's mm. but yeah and that was a yeah, that was a, a, a massive one for me to see his career and know that I mean painful as well because you have to look at he had 10, ten years or so of being on the cusp of all of his dreams coming true. Oh, yeah.
1: But we've all been 10 years on the cusp of our <laughs> dreams coming true. <laughs> yeah, but, but, yeah. I, I, but I think, that, but the, the thing about those 10 years is that uh, I don't think they're wasted. No, you know? no, I spent 10 years doing Edinburgh. No one came to see my shows or if they did, you know, they, they didn't ever go anywhere. And then as soon as I started doing stand up, I had like this huge, um, wealth of material and ideas yeah. that it was just like you want an idea i've got an idea yeah. you want a poem i did a poem in this show that i did that uh, that you know and so you've got all of this kind of like this backlog of material with um uh with bone tomahawk yeah um that wasn't even his first script his first so he'd written he'd done bone tomahawk that got made and then he went back and he got cell block 99 and he's because uh, they wanted another film quickly, yeah. and he went. I've got this one. This was the film that I tried to get made before Bone Tomar. Yeah, it's really And then good. he went out and he brought it out. He did it, and then he made that with Vince Vaughn. And then Vince Vaughn was in his next film after yeah. that. Um And um, it's just kind of like what you do now, and your disappointments now may turn out to be successes later. And I think that you know, uh, pre- don't
0: throw anything away. Yeah, it's the preparation thing. I f- I I feel like I'm going. For- through the back catalogue of my conversations f- f- for motivational moments, but when I had had a Winston Duke on, who's in Us and was in Black Panther, um, and he's amazing, and he was saying he spent years and years of his life preparing for a revolution he didn't know was coming. And this, this new resurgence of black cinema, of amazing black actors, characters, writers, directors, when he was in film school, he didn't know that was going to happen. Mm. And when he was... Doing short films, he didn't know that was going to happen, and it just so happens now. All of those years of work means that now that's happened, or is happening, he's suddenly so well equ- equ- equipped. He's put in all the work he's been preparing for it, yeah, yeah, yeah. and then it's happened, and it's like, right, I'm the man now. Riz Ahmed was a, s- a similar one speaking to him of just all this studying, and then s- suddenly when it comes, you're like, right. All that stuff that I thought was flopping or not working—that was all, all leading me here and all, all preparing me and, mm-hmm. and putting me in the best, the best position. Um, I'll start to wrap things up. There's tons I wanted to talk about and haven't got round to because we've spent an hour talking about uh, Endgame. Um, it's crazy. You, I mean, you're, you're coming back. <laughs> Three stars. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you're coming back to the fringe, and it's now there's a, m- a massive. A penny has dropped because you've said that you're one of the few comedians who likes it. Because I'm, I'm the same, I always, I talk to comedians and I'm like, it's the best place in the world. There's so much amazing stuff, it's this creative thing, but they're all, it kills you, it's a money pit. But you're returning with a bank because you're also br- r- resurrecting your musical, right?
1: Oh yeah, I wrote a musical it's, uh, 11 years ago.
0: And 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 it's you the 10th did the tenth anniversary last year. I wanted to do it last year, and you I did that it. when again. I'd imagine no one was particularly turning out. That's Is why that, I'm doing it again. Yeah.
1: Nobody came to see it,
0: and so uh, it's exactly what we were talking about. It's yeah, like, oh, you yeah, need yeah. another idea. I've got this from ten years ago, a yeah. fully written musical.
1: Well, I think like <laughs> Brett, Brett was one of the people that came to see it, right? Excellent. And he's for years he's just said that's the best thing you've ever done. Wow, which you can't help, help but uh, take that badly. Yeah. <laughs> I've done so much since. I mean, you've been to a lot, Brett. You've yeah, <laughs> been to everything, and the thing that no one watched in 2008 was my best thing. So, do you enjoy tonight, Brett? Do you remember 2008? I remember <laughs> it's no, it's no singing and dancing, is it? It was a bit. Um, yeah. So, uh, and it was like I did it ten years ago, and uh, I think there was loads of really good things in it. And I basically, um, yeah, uh, I just wanted to kind of like. Uh, Give something another life, yeah. you know, and, and another chance, and yeah, I think it's really good.
0: Yeah, I'm, that's great. Yeah, are you excited to get it it back out and, and, and do it all again? Yeah, H- we're still casting H- have you it at have you the moment. To be so bit,
1: am I excited about it? I, well, I did it again. And what is it?
0: Like, like what kind it's, of? It's weird. It's not really a musical.
1: It's it's basically it's um, a series of musical vignettes right. based around. Uh, B-movie horror f- uh, horror films um, and they're all like five minutes long and it ends in a 15 minute rock opera and it's kind of um, yeah, it's called I Think You Stink uh, and it was originally going to be like a collection of poems and stuff but then I wrote more songs so there's like a couple of poems in there but not really yeah, um, yeah and it's just kind of like I and mean, I did it for Halloween last year for the 10th anniversary and it was really fun uh, and then I was just like, do you know what, I'll, I'll do that in Edinburgh, I reckon, that, and it more so than stand-up in a way, it kind of feels like it's perfect for Fringe, Yeah. I think that I couldn't tour it, um, and all the effort that I put into, uh, put, it's got like loads of costumes and props and stuff yeah. like that, so I did three nights at Halloween, it's just like, well, I want to do this again, because I've yeah. put so much effort <laughs> yeah. into it. Yeah. Um, and uh, you can't tour it, and it's kind of like, well, with stand-up, you could do, like, a, a weekend of work in progress in Edinburgh and then tour it. Yeah. But with this show, it's just kind of like, this belongs in Edinburgh, really. Yeah. More so than anything else. It seems so. perfect,
0: yeah. Being in the, the same location night after night, I had to explain Edinburgh to to, to B. Dolan and Sage Francis, who were two rappers who were, who were who were coming over to do a few... had done two years there now, but... Their initial fear was, well, we've got a decent pull in in Scotland, but not enough for like a whole. Enough. It's like, oh no, it's a tour. Just the crowd comes to you. Yeah, people come from. It's like, oh, I've never the, thought of it like the best that. idea for a tour. It's like, no, you do a tour. You just stay in one place, and everyone comes from all over the country. It's like whoever came up with it is a genius because yeah. it's it means you can do things that maybe you couldn't tour a full mu- musical or whatever until it was huge numbers yeah, so yeah, you can yeah. afford to do the full production. If it's in one place, that wipes tonnes of that out. Mm. So it's, it's completely doable. And, yeah, yeah that no, was kind I've of... Never
1: thought, do you know I've absolutely never thought about it. Yeah. God, so, <laughs> exactly so really that means that my first few Edinburgh's, if
0: I think of them as tours, yeah. I would have pulled half of the shows. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's amazing. So, I mean, before we wrap things up, what is the kind of, the focus, I guess, going forward because you've written a lot and acted in um i loved a, a reluctant a landlord and I, yeah. I i thought your character was fantastic and that so you've acted in stuff that you've not written as well what is the focus are you looking at acting more writing more st- that, that stand up more or kind of drifting between or music more
1: all of this? um i don't know um i know i know what i want to do i mean so I know what I want to do. I want to write... um, See, I never wrote Uncle, which is the thing, which is the misconception. Right. And so I've still... uh, You know, at the moment I'm developing my own uh, sitcoms and shows and stuff to do at the moment. So I want to do that. I directed a short film that got uh, BAFTA nominated. Wow, Uh, that's fantastic. So that's the thing that I spent four years developing to get into a TV series, which is just really frustrating. So... I don't know, I mean, I'm just at a point now where I'm doing stand-up, which is one of the things that is I find most terrifying, I'm um, getting back into that, I want to get good, good at that again, I'm looking forward to, I'm kind of looking forward to the immediate future, yeah. which is the stand-up, Edinburgh, the tour, and then after that, I don't know, try and get another, try and get a film made, I think that's my goal. It's ex- Exciting. It is exciting, but it's also really unknown. Yeah, it's like stepping into
0: outer space. <laughs> completely, completely. But again, as it, it, I think, as you've touched upon, all your experiences up to now are equipping you for your future attempts at these things and the journey it all all lead to. So yeah, I look forward to seeing where it all it all lands. Well, you too. <laughs> well, thank you very much. It's, it's been an absolute a, a pleasure, and I'll plug. Um, oh, Oh, where can people find the? Because after the fringe, it will be a tour as well, right? Yeah, it's all over.
1: I think it's all on my website. Um, Perfect. Yeah, I think I saw you for the first time in 2010 uh, at the uh, Electric Ballroom in Camden. Right. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Uh, Yeah. Oh, mad. So
1: it's really nice to like, and I met you so briefly in 2012. Yeah. That uh, yeah, it's really nice to sit down and talk to you.
0: Yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much, sir. Cheers. Thank you. You've been listening to Scroobius Pip's Distraction Pieces. There we go. That was Nick Helm. I loved, I loved talking to him here because... Uh, The thing that struck me when we met at Edinburgh was how calm and peaceful and reserved he seemed. Having seen his kind of performance persona as such, he's quite loud and confrontational. I love that he's quite a quiet, um, introverted, contemplative, contemplative uh, individual. So, yeah, go and check out his Fringe show and then the tour afterwards and all that is to come. Um, I'll see you all next week, guys. Who's next week's guest? I should tell Oh, I think it's... a really good one next week if you've held on right until the end now i'll tell you but keep it quiet you know yes it is yes so next week i've got mark grist and ross sutherland um mark grist is someone that's been requested a lot me and him had a bit of a battle over youtube videos back in the day and ross sutherland is someone i've known for years who i'm a huge fan of and we had a really good chat so that's that's next week so until then This has been the Distraction Pieces Podcast, episode 271, with Nick Helm. Ta-ta!